0: But today we've got an exciting episode of the book of the Mandalorian to talk about.
1: <laughs> an episode of a Boba Affair We literally no Boba Fett.
0: Jeez, this was a good episode of Star Wars TV. I'm lost without my kids.
1: I'm just gonna build myself a car to do donuts in the nearest car park. Mando will go to find Grogu, and like one of the one of the Jedi will be the handler.
0: Hello there and welcome to episode 43 of Live from Vedas Castle As always you're joined by your two hosts, myself Dan McQuarrie and my co-host John Lee Hello there John Hello there Dan How are we doing this fine Sunday?
1: Um, I- I'm taking this this Sunday as a rest day uh, <laughs> Day sure of rest? I'm sure listeners can- can figure out Well, I've got a-, a rough voice on from from last night's antics thing uh, rather hungover this morning so out On the town last me. night were you John? Out on the town, painting it red and all that, all the other connotations that go along with that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not, not too bad. Went out for a couple of lager beers last night as well,
0: painting Scotland's capital red. So I was out in Edinburgh last night, which is good fun. Uh, a couple of lager beers turned into a couple of cocktails, but we move. we're here. We're ready to record some uh, some podcasts, some great podcast greatness as always.
1: Exactly. There's no matter how rough or hungover I'm feeling. Are we here to discuss Star Wars? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And How's life, John? Treating you well? Oh, I can't complain. It's, uh it's. lovely. It's been a. It's been a fantastic week uh, for the book of Boba Fett, and uh, every every day gone is a day closer to the new Lego Star Wars game. So yeah, life is life is treating me well. yeah.
0: yeah. I've uh, I've moved again. <laughs> i'm i'm back but i'm now living actually in edinburgh i've got a new job so uh i'm here for the next like four or five weeks so uh, the podcast is going to be brought to you from a new location for the next five weeks but you know we're still gonna get these episodes out every week we're still loving the the book of boba fett and uh and yeah we're we're, we're, we're ready to deliver some more podcast greatness i've already said that i'm saying it again podcast greatness <laughs>
1: just make sure that the listeners know just how great the podcast is if you say it enough times uh, and uh today we've got an exciting
0: episode of the book of the mandalorian to talk about
1: <laughs> yeah indeed i mean well i mean obviously it's a great episode as I've, I've, i'm sure any star wars fans have seen on, on twitter this uh this week everyone um everyone and their nan has been enjoying this episode so uh of Book of Boba Fett So I'm looking forward To diving into it And discussing it But yes It's definitely Definitely Book of Mandalora And not quite Book of Boba Fett yeah. which, uh, which is an interesting Interesting thing Which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into As we discuss the uh, the episode But yeah, yeah. Great, great episode
0: It's definitely going to be Something to talk about How like I'll be up front I love the episode I thought it was a brilliant Episode of television Great Star Wars goodness all round, lots of stuff to enjoy. But then it also felt a little bit weird that it was a whole episode of the Book of Boba Fett with absolutely no Boba Fett in it. Um, it's 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 a weird one to uh, to to judge because like the episode was so sick and I loved it, but it was uh, I missed my
1: boy Boba. I actually uh, I felt not having Boba there, it, it was weird. Yeah, it was. I mean, it kind of reminds me of um, just like reading comic books and stuff Feel like you'll have like a couple issues maybe in that comic where they're off the storyline kind of devolves onto like a different character or something to like set up something later in the in the story which is obviously what they've done for this episode but it was yeah a bit strange like, and yeah, the a whole a long episode as well I think it was like 50 minutes like 45-50 yeah. minutes the whole yeah. episode of uh, Book of Boba Fett with literally no Boba Fett like um, not even obviously at the end of Fennec, Fennec appears but um, Boba wasn't even there like she he's literally not in it at all he's, he's only in the, the episode in the credits
0: yeah, his it's, name it's, is mentioned. That, is it? Yeah, his name was mentioned once in a in the show that is about him. So, I mean, we'll we'll may as well talk about it now, and then we'll dive into the sort of the rest of the episodes because um I've I've grown to really become very fond of Boba Fett's character in this show. Tamara Morrison's performance. So, like as much as I love the episode, I did miss not having Boba Fett there. I'm looking forward to next week of you know getting back some Boba Fett centric episodes. But I think I think you make a good comparison. It did feel like those sort of little like spin-off comic like issues where it's still part of the Daredevil series, but for one issue they're gonna go and, you know, spend the whole issue with Karen Page or something. Like it did have that sort of comic booky feel, which I think sort of John Favreau and Dave Filoni sort of you get that sort of pulpy vibe from like a lot of their storytelling anyway. So I think it, it fits quite well. Um and I'm trying to. Like, I'm thinking back to some old, like, on the old CW shows. Used every now and then, I can remember like a couple of episodes of Arrow where, like, Oliver Queen just like wasn't in an entire episode, and it'd be setting up something major that would, you know, pay off towards the end of the series. So I, I don't think it's. I don't think it was like they didn't know what to do, so they just wrote a whole episode of The Mandalorian. I think it was very intentional, and I think we'll we'll understand the reasoning
1: for it probably next week. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think recently there's been a big change um in like how writers and stuff tell their, their stories. I mean, I think we've all grown up and old stories and stuff used to be very um singular, I suppose. Like, you know, you watch a film and that was it, like that was the story in the film, blah blah blah. And I suppose with like the additions of like the MCU and things, like going to go see a film isn't like the beginning and end of that story. Like um, it sets up something that's gonna be in like a next show or next film and stuff like that which i think people are struggling to get used to and i think um this episode of book Boba Fett is probably something similar where we haven't really haven't really seen it before in many tv shows where yeah you spend like the entire um like an hour long episode without the main character and i think it's something that people just have to get uh, struggling to get used to um because i mean while book Boba Fett is going to be six episodes or seven episodes i can't remember off the top of my head but um it's setting up stuff for future, so obviously, this is setting up something big in this season, I suppose, of Book of Boba Fett. But then, um, I think what you also have to understand with these stories is even once this season finishes, there'll be more stuff for this like character and like the characters in it and stuff, so you kind of have to wait and see until you get the big picture, um, before you can like be like, oh, that's a bit strange. There was no boba Fett in this episode. Was it's like, well, it's because they're setting up something. And you know, you kind of have to look at it as like a big book with yeah. many chapters instead of just like a single <laughs> show or episode.
0: Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think you're right in saying that like storytelling has definitely changed nowadays. And I'm like I really love it. Like I'm completely here for it. I think like the I love the MCU. I love that Star Wars is starting to be sort of more interconnected and like really rich and deep in its lore, with like, you know, connections back to the old TV shows and like rebels and clone wars and stuff like that. So I love what they're doing with Star Wars. And I think this is like the most sort of shared university that they've got so far. And I think it's, a, I think it was a risk, but ultimately I think it's paid off because this episode sort of works as like a, a prelude to the Mandalorian season three, whilst also being like another chapter in Boba Fett's story. It just, you know, the, the Boba Fett connection happened right at the end. But I think you're right. I think like, you know, this is, you know, Mando season one, Mando season two, Book of Boba Fett season one, and then Mando season three is sort of all almost one continuous storyline. And like, you know, Boba Fett dropped into Mando season two and sort of stole the show for an episode. And then sort of Mando's dropped into Boba Fett's show and like literally stolen an episode. Um so I think it's all just you know Favreau and Filoni sort of interconnected. This like post Return of the Jedi interconnected storyline that I think they're they're telling, and eventually uh, I imagine Ahsoka will be a part of that sort of cross, um, like cross TV show storytelling that they're doing. So I think whilst it did feel a bit weird of like not having Boba Fett in the book of Boba Fett, um, because the episode was unreal, and because we can sort of see what they're doing with like setting up, not just like Mando's story, but like the, the widest story of this like era that they're, that they're telling. It's not just about Boba Fett or Mando. It's about like this era and what's going on in that era.
1: And um, yeah, I thought, I thought it worked really well. Yeah. I think to sum up my point, cause I don't think I explained it very well. It's like, because we've got so many shows and stuff coming out now for um, Disney, like Book Boba Fett, Mandalor, and Ahsoka, um, you know, any other projects that are coming up soon, you can have you've got the time to basically spend an episode of Book of Fett basically just on Mandalorian because it's like once Book of Fett's over, it's not like the end of Boba Fett's story. Assuming he doesn't die, but you know, he's like, there's time to then sort of out in season two of Book of Fett maybe, or like season three of Mando. So yeah, that's that's kind of what I was saying is like you don't have to rush everything into one season or like. Um, kind of have to take it as like the big picture that Disney are making with the Star Wars universe, not just the book of our the entire Star Wars universe they are kind of writing for. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you've got time to stay away from the main character, I suppose, for an episode and, and come back to it at a later time.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, they were very deliberate about it last week when like they, they were like, Oh, we're going to need some muscle. And then like the Mando theme plays, I think they were very deliberate. And then this episode literally just opens and within what, like five seconds, Mando walks on screen. So, you know, they were very deliberate with their intentions. It wasn't like, you know, the Luke Skywalker thing where he appears right at the end, and it's a massive surprise. Last week, they were like, next episode, Din Djarin is going to be in it. And then it opens, and it's like, right, this episode is called The Return of the Mandalorian. The whole episode is about the Mandalorian. So I think they're very deliberate in what they're doing. And I'm sure by the time that we get to the end of episode seven of the Book of Boba Fett, we're going to be like, right, that's why they spent that whole episode of Mando, because we needed to know this about his character. Um, but I'll get into you know, some of like the thematic overlap between the two shows a bit later on because even though they're two completely different characters, I think there's a lot of similarities and differences between them that they're intentionally um, showing. So, um, but I mean, we'll, we'll dive into the episode because there's a lot to talk about. Because, jeez, this was a good episode of Star Wars TV. Um, as always, written by the man John Favreau. This time, directed by who is quickly becoming Star Wars TV royalty, Bryce Dallas Howard. This is a third episode of live action Star Wars. She did, um, what was it? It was chapter four of um, season one Mandalorian Sanctuary episode, which I think is one that I think is a really underrated episode. And we talked about it recently on the podcast. Check that episode out if you haven't already. Um, Then she did The Heiress, which was, I think it was, the third episode of season two of the Mandalorian with Bo Katan. And that was another unreal episode. And then she's done this as well. So uh, Bryce Dallas Howard deserves, I mean, everyone's been talking about it on Twitter. She deserves either her own film or her own TV show because she can direct the hell out of star Wars. So um, it was good to have her back for another episode of Boba Fett and her directing along with Favreau's writing just chef's kiss works perfectly.
1: Yeah. I mean, as, as you said, <clears throat> on Twitter this week, they've been blowing up with calls for uh, Bryce Howard to, you know, have like a run show, TV show, um, Star Wars movie, something. I think personally, give her a TV show because I don't know why you'd want to condense her talents into like a two-hour film when you can stretch over like a ten-season, ten-episode season, a ten episode season something and get the most out of, uh, of her talents because she's done really well with the three episodes of Star Wars she's um, directed recently. Uh, I think one of my favorite things about her, like direction. Or like directing style is like just the little nods she puts from like different films. I was like, I've seen a couple of things on like TikTok and stuff, just like Easter eggs and like different ways she like shoots a scene to like reminisce of other things she's been in. But there was a couple of, couple of bits in this episode where like it was shot similar to, or like I was recreating some shots from like Jurassic Park uh, and like old Star Wars stuff, things like that. And I think they're really they're really interesting nods she includes in her in her films to um to make it feel like personalised with her own little touch. Um, And, you know, she's she's done a fantastic job in the episode she's done. So I look forward to seeing her, seeing her back in future Star Wars things, whether that's Mando, her own stuff or whatever, whatever it is, I'm sure it'll be great. Well, there was a bit of news that broke this week that she's definitely
0: confirmed that she's got an episode of Mando season three, um, which is obviously great news. Comes as no surprise to anyone, I think, but and hopefully it'd be, Obviously, I know Filoni's going to take the lead on Ahsoka, but I hope that they give her an episode of the Ahsoka show as well, because I think she'd do some kick-ass stuff with Ahsoka's character. So, yeah, we we could we could uh, gas up Bryce Dallas Howard for the next hour if we wanted to, but uh, I just I just uh, thought this was a, a... As soon as I knew this episode was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, I was like, it's going to be a banger, in the same way that, like, next week's a Filoni week, so I'm like, it's going to be a banger. So, um, yeah, but this episode was called... Very on the nose, bluntly, Return of the Mandalorian, um, following in a in a, a lineage of Return of titles in Star Wars, or Revenge of, or I've run out of examples. There, attack of <laughs> this is Return of the Mandalorian, um, and it was it was quite literally the Return of the Mandalorian, um, all the way down to the the. I mean, I bet you got gassed at this as well, like the Book of Boba Fett. Intro music getting like remixed in with the Mando theme. I was like, geez, I want that as my ringtone, like the book of a Mando crossover
1: song, unreal stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, as we've said them before on the podcast, the stuff they do with the music and in the in the soundtracks on this, these Star Wars shows is fantastic. Like the little nods they give here and there when they like just one obviously, as we said before, like the music itself is unbelievable. Um, when it's like the original written stuff and things like that. But when they they cross over certain bits of music together, I think they do an absolutely fantastic job. And it just, it helps set the scene and like set the mood for whatever you're watching at the moment. So yeah, that was a great, great little uh, addition to the, uh, to the episode to get you you gassed up and excited for what was coming.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, But no, I mean, we'll talk about the opening. Uh, What a way to open. We sort of start off in this weird, like (laughs) meat packing factory. And then, as I said, within five ten seconds, Mandalorian Din Jaran himself, our boy that feels like we haven't seen him for years, but it's literally only be, been a year that we haven't seen him. He appears on screen in his full garbs, his Beskar spear on his back, no Dark Saber to, to be see, to be seen at the beginning, um, and he 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 approaches these Clatoinians, finds this guy who is his bounty and then gets in one of the coolest and most brutal Star Wars scraps I've seen in a long time. um, To which I think the whole world was like, come on when he pulled his dark saber out. What did you think of this initial fight scene, John? Did you, I mean, obviously we also had the, I can bring you in
1: warm up and bring in cold line repeated, which was, you know, amazing. What did you think? Yeah. I was just going to mention that line because, oh, chills when you said that. And it was, oh, what an opener. And I I completely agree. Like, <clears throat> Absolutely brutal fight scene, like um, so good. Just, ah, oh, just cracks me up sometimes watching his fight scenes. They were like the guys or like whoever's fighting him. is just like shooting him, and he's just like bouncing off. And he like he could not give a fuck. Like he's just like there, just like um, you know, taking all these hits and just basically just like shrugging him off. And he waxed as soon as he got out of the darks here as well. I was like, jeez, like, here we go. Yeah, now we're in yeah. For, now it's now we're cooking. Yeah, that was a um, moment that just I was just like, "Come on!" Yeah, it was it was cool to see him use it. I mean, what's nice as well um, with it, and I'm, we'll get into it, I'm sure, a bit later. is like he is, not I want to say useless with it, but like he's not. You can tell he's not a trained swordsman, or like you know, he's never wielded like a lightsaber before. Because like the way he kind of he kind of flails it about, like it's not smooth and crisp. Like watching like Obi Wan with his lightsaber or something like that. He's kind of just doing. The best he can with it, which I think is a nice little touch. And um, I wasn't sure about this when I was watching the episode, but like he obviously hurt his leg. I mean, did he? Did, was that with his own? Did he do that to himself? Yeah, I wasn't yeah, really he sure did it. Yeah, it he out. did it to himself. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's again like a nice little thing to obviously show us. It was a badass scene to show us how obviously you know badass Mando is, and you know he kicked ass. Um, but it was nice to have like that, those little bits of, um, like vulnerability or like where he basically just needs more training with the dark side which is a nice yeah. touch yeah. Um so but yeah badass scene when he when he cut like his bounty, like he obviously killed the bounty with his that little knife he had and then just like cut him in half for literally no reason and he was just like yep there you go He's was like, letting geez, up so,
0: he was letting out some pent up rage I think now wouldn't he <laughs> <laughs> yeah this poor fella just gets chopped in half for no reason but you know, I don't blame him yeah I know I completely agree with like what you're saying obviously like the the continuation of him just getting shot in the best car and like, not caring is brilliant. The fight scene was brutal, really well shot, but like, I agree with the, I'm really glad they went the route that they went with the dark saber because I think we as like star Wars fans who, you know, know the law and everything like we, you know, we know for a fact that like it takes Jedi, like years of training to like master using a lightsaber. Um, and you know, if you've seen Rebels, it took, like, for Sabine to be able to wield the Darksaber. She had to have, like, really specific training from Kanan because at first she was hopeless with it. Um, and then, obviously, if it, like, realistically, if someone just came up to me and it was like, she gave me a great sword and was like, go have a fight with that fella, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd probably chop off my own limbs because I'm not I'm not a trained swordsman. So I think it's it was really, it was a cool aspect. that They weren't just, like, his, you know, here's a guy who has no force sensitivity at all. Let's give him a lightsaber. I know it's the dark saber, but let's give him a lightsaber and say, oh, he's unreal with it. <clears throat> Obviously, it's going to take him a bit of time to master. And I think it was really cool that like he actually ended up hurting, it, hurting himself because that's something that like, Star Wars fans have talked about for years of like, oh, if i got a lightsaber, I'd probably hack off my own limbs because I wouldn't know what to do with it. So I think it was a, a really cool way of like giving this like a little bit more sort of like character to to Mando of like, you know, this guy's recently inherited this weapon that he does not know how to use because when we see him with all his other weapons, he knows exactly what to do. So I just thought that was a a really cool addition. And I think is very intentional because I imagine, I imagine we can all probably guess where that's leading story-wise for Mando, whether that's next in Mando season three or next episode, who knows? Um, See, so, yeah, I thought that was awesome. But funny you point out the the brutal severing of that guy in half. I think this first scene to me shows that, like, after giving up Grogu, Mando doesn't really know what to do with himself anymore, and it's like he's gone back to his old ways. Because over the course of Mando season one and two, we saw him like grow into like, this like strong father figure from like a sort of a merciless bounty hunter. He was never like a bad guy, but he was a bit of a, like a, an anti-hero, a bit of a, you know a rogue. And then by the end, he was just this like powerful dad who like cared for this kid. And now he's like he's lost his kids. It's like, what's he going to do? And I think he's like he goes back to what he was good at, and he's obviously got a lot of um, a lot of stuff going on in his head. And I think this was a really good scene of showing that like he's lost without Grogu, um, completely lost without Grogu. So
1: yeah, I really really enjoyed that first scene. Yeah, it was such a strong way to open up the episode. And I think um I think it just brought us perfectly back into into falling in love with uh old And I think it was, as soon as he appeared on screen, I'm sure there was a lot of people sent at home, and they were like, Yes, here we go. Um <clears throat> so it was it was a great, great opener to the um, to the episode. And I completely agree. I think it's this episode really is um it was really focusing about like where Mando's at now he's lost like, he's you know, he doesn't have Grogu anymore and like what he's gonna do with himself now. 'Cause obviously he as you say, like in that fight scene, he was a bit more brutal than we've seen him in the in the last um in like the season two or something, um, of Mando. Um and then obviously we find out that he's only done the bounty so I can get information to find the uh, remaining um Mandalorians that from the um his little coven in season one. Uh he's only he's only doing the bounty so he can find them. So he seems to be returning back to his old ways and uh, you kind of have to, you have to wonder if once we, once he leaves, uh, you know, Boba Fett's aside in this uh, season, is he just going to go back to? Is he going to get stuck in a rut, basically, just being like the same old bounty hunter he once was? Or do you think, or is it? Do we wonder if maybe spending some time with Boba Fett will help him re-evaluate his life or something? I mean, I'm intrigued to see where the uh, the implications for this character is in, in the next few few episodes. Mm, yeah
0: no I completely agree yeah I think it was a really interesting like way to reintroduce him and I think it it doesn't take away from that massive moment of that finale because like him giving up Grogu was such a powerful moment and I think they built from that they haven't just undercut it completely which I think is you know I, I never thought they would but it's just strong
1: to see yeah I mean it was such a it's interesting as well because we've we've seen um, we got straight in with Mando and then you know, we, you kind of you're watching it, and you're like, "Oh, okay, I'm back to where I was watching season two. Like you, you feel comfortable, and then, um, and then you get like a whole new side of Mando and stuff like that, and um, and then you get that big, that big space Halo thing that Mando was on. I saw that, and I was like, "Oh, have um, have Microsoft given Disney the rights to, to Halo now?" So I was like, "What's going on here? They've <laughs> uh, they've copied their Halo ring." I was I was a bit confused. About that 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 was. Cool. Cool, and then I think it as I was talking about like the vulnerability to be sort of when he was using the dark saber and stuff, it was interesting that we got quite um, I don't know but like extended scenes of him just like limping limping across this like a uh, big halo ring, obviously to go collect his bounty, and then off he went to go find the man, the uh, remaining Mandalorians. So like it could have cut that out, but I think it was interesting to see him just like hobbling along. Um, to again, just I yeah, suppose to show that, that vulnerability while, side.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, poor fella. I mean, I'm Ooh. sure that his leg absolutely killed. He's just sliced <laughs> off like a good chunk of his thigh with with a lightsaber. So I'm sure that was very painful. But it was, it was nice again to see that like vulnerable side to him. Yeah. As we've gotten used to over the last like couple seasons of Mando.
0: Yeah. No, it was, it was cool. And obviously we found out, as you said, that he, he did the bounty to get information, which is like the most classic Mando thing ever that he's doing a job to get something in return. It's like he's always on like the fetch quests of like doing a thing to get a thing. Um which is just it's classic Mando. So that was, that was funny. Um yeah completely agree. I love the the big Halo planet design. That was awesome. Um and I was genuinely surprised that like they just brought back the armor. Like I, I I when I saw the armor on screen I was like yes come on I haven't seen the armor in ages. So it was really cool to see That he, without Grogu, returns to them or like tries to find them. And a lot of season two of The Mandalorian was about him questioning this like way that he's been like brought up on, and that there's more than one way to be a Mandalorian, and you know, about like taking off the helmet and all all the stuff that he learned in season two. And like now he's going back to this cult basically who believe that mandalorian should behave one very specific rigid way um and i think it's thematically works really well for his character of like he grew and changed and then the thing that made him grow and change is taken away from him and he's just like you know revert back to this old way and obviously when when he isn't accepted because they find out about him taking his helmet off that is him completely lost. So um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the return of the Armorer and uh, Paz Vizsla. Um It was it was good to see them both back. It's been it's been a while, um, and I think, oh, I mean, that whole scene in like the sort of Undercity with them is like there was so much, you know, high quality Mandalorian lore. in in that in those scenes i mean from the the flashbacks to the the great purge to finding out about all the stuff with you know the creases and the 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 dark saber and bo katan obviously it was one of the things everyone was just like oh why didn't bo katan just take the dark saber in the season two finale like she did from sabine and some people are as a plot hole and i don't know i think most people were just like wait and they'll explain it which they did and you know the point is that Bo-Katan was essentially cursed because she didn't win the Darksaber. So she's not going to take it back again because she feels like she cursed Mandalore by doing it the first time. So um, they answered that nice little hanging thread of, of, of questioning. And then they answered one of the biggest hanging threads, which was what actually was the great purge. Um, and it was a pretty brutal flashback. Um, what are your thoughts, John? Did you, I mean, I wouldn't
1: say enjoy is the right word, but did you did you rate what they did with the the Great Purge? Yeah, I did. I thought it was it was interesting to finally see what happens um, to to Mandalore. I mean, the the place got absolutely bombarded by the Empire. They were they were not holding back, uh, and I suppose it it makes sense, you know, from what we saw um, in like rebels and stuff. Obviously, the um, Mandalorians, you know, worked hand in hand with the Empire for a little while, but obviously, as soon as as soon as that went out the window, um, the Empire was clearly, as the Empire typically does, was just threw their toys out the pram and just absolutely, you know, glassed the place. Um, and then it was, yeah, but I mean, some very interesting shots and some very clever, like cinematography and stuff to show us uh, what what happened to Mandalor. I mean, like one of the Easter eggs I was talking about earlier with Bryce and uh, Dallas Howard's like shooting, is obviously with the droids um, going through and like shooting the. I don't know Mandalorians and and all that sort of stuff. It's like a it's a great throwback to like Terminator. Um That's uh, so that was a that was a nice little Easter egg that she threw in yeah, there just to, yeah. just to add in there. Um, so cool. But yeah, it was yeah. enjoy is not the word I'd use, but yeah, it was um intense to find out what what actually happened to Mandalor. And obviously, as you say, like perfectly explains why um, you know bo feel like she's you know as you say like cursed Mandalore. Because I mean, if if you Took if you did something that like went against your culture, I suppose, and then your your planet gets bombarded, you'll probably feel slightly guilty for that, and then you'll put some sort of um, <clears throat> you won't want to risk it again. So it completely makes sense why she didn't bother or not didn't bother didn't take the um the dark saber from from Mando in the end of season two. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't want to yeah. run that risk again. So yeah, that, was that that answers that question for us. Well, it's answered two questions for us: what happened to mandor and uh, why didn't you take the dark saber? So. Yeah, you're very right. So You just have to sit and wait for Favreau and uh, Fellaini to explain these things because they always, they always will. In, they always do.
0: They always do. Yeah, no, I thought this was this was some of the coolest. Like, and this was one of the re- one of the moments where I was just like, I think this was a moment where I actually realised I was like, this isn't a book of Boba Fett episode. This is literally the Mandalorian because these were like massive th- hanging threads from Mandalorian, the TV show, that was answered in the book of Boba Fett, which I think is. An interesting choice, but I'm here for it. I rate it, um, but no. Since yeah, this stuff was really cool. From just the the way the armor had, like talks about Mandalorian lore and like songs of eons past, and you know all, all this all this way that she like talks about it. It's so like it could easily fall into the trap of being like really exposition heavy, but the the actress has a way of delivering it, and Favreau has a way of writing the dialogue that it just feels so like mythic and it's like a, like these fables getting told around a campfire, but you know this time it's around a forge, and I thought this was yeah really really cool, and um, I think it's there's a lot of threads back to the Clone Wars, obviously with you know Satine Krees and obviously Bo Crees and everything that went on there, and I think it's very it's very ov- obvious the deliberate comparisons they're trying to make of like you know, Death Watch wanted Mandalorian, Mandalore to return to the old ways of being, you know, these warriors that followed, you know, <laughs> the way basically, <clears throat> like the Armorer and, you know, Satine Kree's and then eventually Bo-Katan Kries, you know, wanted Mandalore to be something different. Um, And I think that that conflict between Mandalorians is like very evident in this episode. And I think potentially they're laying down the the hints and the plot points for Dinjarin to hopefully be the one to reunite Mandalore. Um, you know, what, what was the, what was it that she said about, you know, we'll ride, you know, we'll, we'll a Mandalore will ride the great mythosaur and sort of reunite Mandalore or save Mandalore. Um, I can't quite remember how what the quote was, but I think hopefully they're alluding to, you know, Dinjarin one day doing that. And I think that's, that's something that's really exciting. So I really enjoyed all of that. And um I, I also quite enjoyed the armor, like hating the Beskar spear and being like, oh, Beskar should be for armor, not for weapons. And um just seeing Din want to turn the leftover
1: Beskar into a little present for Grogu was really wholesome. Yeah, I mean, the whole all the scenes with the armor and stuff and it were fantastic. And as you say, she has a fan the writer and the acts have a fantastic way of delivering it. So it does seem like almost like mythical and, you know, they do make it seem like it's kind of like a, you know, like a cult, like it is a cult, I suppose. But, you know, that there's such great grandeur to what they're, she's saying and um, how she puts it across. Um, it's very interesting. And then it, it, it's interesting to see where Mando, like how easy he kind of just falls back into step with, you know, like the way because you know, like towards the end of season two, it, we got to see Mando, you know, he took off his helmet a few times when it benefited, you know, like Grogu and it helped Grogu out. Um, and, and then the final scene took his helmet off because, you know, Grogu wanted to see him without his helmet on, um, to see what he actually looked like and stuff. Uh, very emotional scene. Um, you know, so it was, it's clear that in his head, you know, he can take his helmet off when he deems it necessary. Um, but then obviously he f- was almost like begging for forgiveness. The fact that he had to like tell the armorer or when the armorer was disappointed in him for taking it off and like cast him out. He was like begging, begging for to get back into the, into their like, cult, I suppose. So it's interesting to see how like quickly he's fallen back into step without Grogu um, into like back into the extreme ways that, that they have in that, um, in that little cult of of Mandalorian culture. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, as you say, if he if he's going to be the one that unites Mandalore and like, um, you know, like rises up to rule Mandalore and stuff like that, and brings all the Mandalorians together. It'd be interesting to see if he becomes a bit more self aware as like how extreme their culture is, or like how extreme their version of the culture is and stuff. I think that'd be really interesting to see. I mean, it'll probably be in like season three of Mandalorian that we'll see in Book of Boba Fett. But it's it's just really interesting to see, like, where Mando is with it or, like, his view on, like, the culture um, and stuff like that. So it was really interesting, uh, their conversations between him and the Armorer. And, yeah, as you say, it was really interesting. He basically wanted the Berskall Spear to be made into stuff for foundlings, which I think is obviously a nice touch. We know how much Mando loves, um, not loves, but, like, has a soft spot for, like, foundlings stuff as he is one. He wants to make sure that they're properly taken care of and stuff. And, yeah, it was nice. Then we get to, we're going to, he's going to give a little gift to Grogu. I mean, I don't know what it is. Um, I think it's like a, it must be like a ball, like a similar sort of thing to the thing that was on his ship that Grogu just was obsessed with. That's my assumption of it.
0: Yeah, I have a, I have a couple of theories. I think there's either like a little, like a, a little bit of chain mail, <laughs> like a little bit of a, like a um, Lord of the Rings style chain mail. I think that could be quite cool. Or it's just some like, some Beskar bling and it's like, I like the idea of it being a little ball on like a chain that Kruger could wear around his neck. <laughs> Just like a nice piece of bling. I think that's what it should be. Don't know what it is, but we'll see. Yeah, a bit of Beskar bling would be quite cool.
1: I, I don't know. <laughs> my first <laughs> thought was like...
0: A little Beskar snapback to put on his head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my, my first thought was like, when she started forging it and she's uh, Manda requested a little gift for Kruger, I was like, oh, she's she going to make him like a lightsaber? He'll... And I was like, that's probably a bit like... I, don't, I can't imagine a Mandalorian making a lightsaber hilt for a Jedi, and that and that going down very well. So I was like, maybe not. So I'm assuming it must be like a an accessory you can attach to his lightsaber or something. like a, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see what it is, to be fair. Yeah, um, definitely. Hopefully we see that soon. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, Mando did say at the end of the episode, he was like, I've got to go see my... Was it, was it, my a little, little friend. friend. Or,
0: my little yeah, green yeah. friend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's obviously Grogu I mean he doesn't have many other little friends does he
0: no exactly yeah no it was really cool and it's, it's just nice to see that Mando is obviously still he's
1: still caught up on Grogu he's not
0: going to forget his little boy Um, so that was that was really sick and I think the the one little not little bit that, that happened but the the other sort of major part of this scene before we move on to the, the Tatooine stuff is uh he he has his duel with um John Favreau. I mean, it's not with John Favreau. I think, I think John Favreau still voices um Paz Vizsla. Um, but the the little um, trial by combat, I guess, of like um, Paz Vizsla, who is obviously of House Vizsla and the original Mandalorian who forged the dark saber was Tar Vizsla. So an ancestor of his. He sees that dark saber and he thinks that boy is mine and belongs to me by birthright. So obviously he challenges Mando to a to a duel to to win the dark saber off of Mando, which I thought was a pretty cool duel. I liked it. Um, I thought it was quite interesting that like both of them took their jetpacks off because obviously in the scene before when like Mando was. Like practicing his dark saber, like fighting with the armor, and he like swings and like falls off the edge of the planet, <laughs> and like he obviously saves himself with his jetpack. But as soon as I saw him like take his jetpack off, I was like, oh nah. I was like, <laughs> if he falls off the edge of this platform again, he's done for. Um, so obviously up the stakes a little bit, and um, it was a cool fight. It was it was nice to see them scrapping it out, and I was genuinely concerned for Mando for a little bit because he does not know how to use that blade. Um, which I think has always been a bit of a like part of Mando's charm is that he's always been a badass, but he always just gets his ass beat before he wins. Like he never just wins straight away; he always just has to get his ass absolutely beat before he ends up on top. And uh, the same thing happened with this fight, but I, I really enjoyed it, and I thought um, Paz Vizsla got he got put in his
1: place, well and truly put in his place. You don't mess with Denjaring. Yeah, I mean, if he did fall off that platform as well. I'm pretty sure because they're on a, like a halo and they're on the underside. If you fell off, I'm pretty sure he's not hitting anything. He's just floating in space for like until he eventually does that run into a ship or a planet or something like that. He'll yeah, be there know. for a while just floating along. <laughs> As <laughs> always <laughs> with Star Wars, it's just
0: best not to think about how gravity works.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially because um, he has like a helmet you know, like they can survive in space for a little bit, little bit. So it'd just be, they should be just like floating along to be like, well, this sucks <laughs> um, for, for a while. But yeah. It was a cool scene. I mean, it's intense. And yeah, I agree. It was, it, it wasn't worrying it for a little bit because Mando was getting his, get his ass beat for a, little, for a little while. I really liked, I really enjoy like the, the bit where he was like training with the armor with his blade. And obviously during that fight, you know, it goes, it perfectly blends back into um, Sabine and, kanan when she and he's like teaching her how to use a dark saber i think i saw i saw a click on tiktok yesterday about it actually so i've, I've got it fresh in my head pretty much what you what kanan was saying to Sabine. it's like you know there's energy that flows through the dark saber so you gotta like learn to control that energy and it's not just about waving around like a, a stick with a light on it you know it's, it's it's a blade that has almost feels like it's alive sort of thing so you kind of have to um you can't be distracted when you're using it. And obviously that was perfectly demonstrated by Mando when um the armorer is talking to him. And he's like, he's like, My mind's, I think he was like, My mind's clear or something. I, oh, I like I'm focused. And it's like, well, you're clearly not, because you can barely pick up this blade, you know. You fell off you're the clearly, edge of the planet. <laughs> yeah, you're clearly distracted by something, which is obviously, as we all know by fans, it's obviously Grogu, like Mrs. Grogu, and that's that's what's distracting him and keeping him from using this blade proficiently. Um so yeah, it's just nice that they're keeping that. In, in, you know, in canon and that um, it's not, you can't just pick up the Darksaber and wield it like a normal sword or even like a lightsaber, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I don't know in, in general, but I think lightsabers themselves are fairly simple to use and the Darksaber just has an kind of extra difficulty setting, it seems. Um,
0: so. I, think, I think it's, like, established that lightsabers themselves are really heavy, but because Jedi, you have to use the Force, for them, it feels like light and fluid, but like if some don without the force picks it up, it's like pretty heavy and clunky to use. Um, and I think the dark saber is even heavier because it's like this like refined beskar. Um, so I think it makes sense that it's so difficult to use for for Mando because he is just swinging it about as if it's a. You know, a blunt object where really it's it's got he's got to make it an extension of his arm. Sort of that was sort of like some of the stuff that like Kanan and Sabine was talking about, and she was, and the Armorer was saying like you need to not fight against the weapon, you need to fight against your opponent. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of a nice,
1: good old fashioned Star Wars saber lore in there. Yeah, it was was really cool, and obviously, uh, it's going to be where Mando as the story progresses, either in the uh, next episode or season three, he'll get more proficient with it and like he'll learn to use it or and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yes, he, needs, uh, he needs a teacher, John. He needs a teacher. He does. He does. Well, I if, thought it was if, really, only, if
0: only he knew a Jedi who could teach you how to use a <laughs> lightsaber.
1: <laughs> if only. If only. Um, I was going to say, is that I found it really interesting. what's mentioned it when I was talking about earlier, but like right at the start of the episode, when um, he has his old line of, you know, I can bring you in warm, I can bring you in cold. Like, the first weapon he goes for is, like, his blaster, which is, like, obviously, it just shows that he's not, he doesn't feel comfortable using the Darksaber as, like, a first weapon. Because, I mean, it's the most powerful weapon he's got on his hilt, you know, on his belt, like, as a lightsaber, obviously. But the, the weapon he was going for first was his blaster. It just shows he's still, um, I mean, I'm just assuming that. It's, it shows he's still, he's not comfortable going for the Darksaber first. You know, he'd rather just rely on his good old-fashioned blaster, uh, as, as recommended by Han Solo. Um, and we know my man's got a lot of weapons because he had
0: to put every single one of them in that box.
1: <laughs> it was there for quite a while, just like undressing himself <laughs> with, with all his weapons. I was like, like oh, yeah hell.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I, I want to talk about this because I actually, I love this whole like second half to the episode because the, the first half was just like he's lost without Grogu. So he tries to return to his old ways and then he gets rejected. And for me, like him riding that star liner because he doesn't have a ship, like it like felt like a midlife crisis. <laughs> like, he's lost his kid and he's got to take the bus. He can't even fly his own ship anymore. He's getting like searched at the, at the door and he's having to take off all, like all his watches and his belts and everything before he can get on the plane. Um, and like annoying kids on the plane are like waving at him. And like, I just, and and then the second half of the episode was like, oh, when you go through a midlife crisis, like, <clears throat> what do you do? Are oh, you buy yourself a new car? Which is essentially what he does in the second half of the episode. So I loved that whole really like relatable journey that he went through. Of just like, I'm lost without my kids. I'm just going to like build myself a car to do donuts in the nearest car park when I'm 40 years old. I think that was like basically the journey he went
1: on and I, I, I rated it. Yeah, he is actually like a midlife crisis. The poor, the poor fellow. He, um, he's he's struggling to. Uh, yeah, he's, he's lost his, lost his kid. He's lost his ship. He's got nothing, nothing left going for him apart from him and his weapons. Yeah, he's been kicked people. out of his cult.
0: He's lost. his yeah. he's, he's lost his job. He's lost his kid. He's yeah, lost be, his let,
1: ship. <laughs> next episode, he's going to go buy himself like a motorcycle for a full like, <laughs> midlife crisis. He's getting a new speeder bike. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to grab a
0: mullet he's man's, man's lost. he a mullet. He's <laughs> just going to join a biker gang. Get tattooed. Yeah, he's so going to
1: join the cyber gang. He's going to buy one of them. Speedy. Oh
0: yeah, that'll be it. That next episode he's jo- he'll join the mods. Yeah, that's <laughs> when know you that. know he's lost.
1: That's full midlife crisis. Uh. He's
0: pretending to be one of those cool mod, mod kids. Uh. Yeah, no, it was it was really funny because like see him like, having to take public transport and stuff like that and Obviously he goes to Tatooine. We saw the little uh the, the Motto cameo like was it last week or the week before? We got the little cameo appearance of her, and then she got the full return this week where he comes to visit her to get a replacement razor crest. Um and um this whole part of like because I think I feel like the first half of the episode was quite serious, quite dark. There was a lot of like the the, the the two sides of Star Wars that like constantly blends together really well of bit of this like grand mythic story. And then the, just the really weird, silly, you know, sometimes childish side of Star Wars. I feel like this episode had like the first half was the mythic sort of grand part of Star Wars. And the second was just the silly fun side of Star Wars. And I feel like it had both because him and Peli are building the, the ship and like, Obviously, we're going to get into it, but him f- flying it through Beggars Canyon—it was just so ridiculous and silly, and I just loved every minute of it. It was so much fun.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was nice. Uh, nice that we got a full full appearance from Pelle after yeah, her cameo last week. Nice little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, yeah, it was. It was great to see, it and it, oh, I mean, what a, what an absolute second half to the episode! I mean, it oh, might be some of the best best styles we've seen put to TV. I mean, it was oh. It was unbelievable. Just as you say, like the the first half of the episode was was quite dark. And um, then the second half has a lot more comedy in it. You know, there's some great jokes with like Penny you know, talking about dating Jawas, which is mental. (laughs) Oh, I
0: kind of feel like
1: we need a a comic series
0: of that story of her dating Jawas.
1: Like that—that is—that Some questions were raised in my mind as soon as you mentioned that I was like, okay. like, do, What do jars even look like apart from the yellow eyes? I'm sure I could Google yeah, it and find they, out. But what
0: do they look like underneath? I don't even know if we actually know the answer to that.
1: I don't know if I want to know. I bet they're funny looking. Well, she said um, they were furry, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so oh, that, some questions were raised on that. Um, but yeah, and then I think in the second half of the episode as well there's some great Great little Easter eggs out there that Dallas and um, Brass Howard put in, like, um, the Jurassic Park one I mentioned earlier. Um, one of the – I'm pretty sure one of the, I don't know, like, pieces of equipment Mando puts in his ship is the same thing that Luke used in A New Hope to, like, try and pry yeah. the, the garbage to sort of thing apart. Yeah. It uh, was the
0: – yeah, the the, the – I can't remember the name of the piece, but it was the – the bit, that he, the long pole that he fits into the, the ship was, yeah, it's the same thing that Han and Luke used to hold the um garbage compact on the Death Star open, which, oh, yeah, that's such
1: a cool little Easter egg. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a few more as well. The, I don't know, the top of my head, the, um, the oh, barrier that Anakin, is Anakin broke in, in his little pod racing scene? That's still there. Well, like, just like the scraps of that barrier still like in Beggar's Canyon. You can still oh, see the, that the, the biggest canyon
0: scenes. stuff was like
1: shot for shot the exact same as Phantom Menace. It was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was oh yeah. was so good. It's like I loved all of it's it. It's one of those things. Is, yeah, we've spoken about before in the podcast, is like which I think John and uh well John Favreau is fantastic at doing is like get putting in these little nods and stuff, obviously, yeah shout out to the director as well. Um, Dallas Bros Howard for that, but like making it shot for shot. But it's like it's not no, like you could you could have done that, and it made it look like really cheesy, or made it look like really, like pandering to the you know like for nostalgic reasons and stuff. But I think they did it in such a such a good way. It was like you know you're on the edge of your seat watching um, Mando flying through Vegas Canyon, and then then you, it really obviously reminds you of of Phantom Menace, and it's it's so good. They do such a good job of like blending nostalgia with like. Um, Exciting scenes at the same time, so it doesn't feel like yeah you're just being like pandered to.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's something that yeah they've they've just done so well. And I think to like I'll take my credit off <clears throat> my hat off to Disney in general. I think it's something that that Disney has actually done really well. Like I know some people disagree when it comes to the sequels on terms of like the way. I mean, I think Force Awakens sometimes pushes it a little bit too far with like you know the second, the third Death Star, or whatever. But in general, I think. Disney have done a really good job of like honoring the past in Star Wars and realizing that you know fans love the, the originals, the prequels, the TV shows, and like, honoring them, but not letting it get in the way of like telling the story that they're trying to tell. And I think John Favreau is particularly good at it, at it. And like just the fact that Mando needs a new ship, and John Favreau's is like, right, what's it going to be? Oh, it's an N one Nubian, uh, the the N one Naboo Starfighter. And you've just got like Pelly Motto talking about, you know, personally hand-built and commissioned by the Queen in Naboo. And I'm just sitting there thinking, oh, yes, this is just... I mean, the prequels have had a lot of hate in, in their lifetime, but we're finally at a point where we're watching like modern-day Star Wars and it's just like celebrating the weird stuff that the prequels did and like the bright yellow like starships that people back in the day were like, oh, they're a little bit daft. They don't look like realistic like x-wings do and nowadays we like see a, an n1 starfighter back on screen and we're like yes come on so uh yeah i loved it and obviously there's so many other like little moments like the bd droid being a nod to like jedi fallen order and um like, one of the bit that made me laugh so much was like Mando like coming out of the ship after giving it his ride and being like wizard, which is honestly a, <laughs> a callback to the, the little Annie's friend back in Phantom Menace who said wizard. And it was a line that everyone like, so dumb. And like nowadays everyone's celebrating the fact that he said wizard. I love it. I think they've just done. And then like Pelly has a quote about like faster than a, f- a Favia, which is obviously from the last Jedi. So John Favreau I just he just does such a good job of like blending all eras of Star Wars and just like you know if you're a sequel fan you'll find enjoyment if you, particularly with this episode if you're a prequel fan you're going to find enjoyment original trilogy fans you know, we're in moss isley you know everyone's fed pretty well when John Favreau is writing and i think it's it just feels so authentic it doesn't feel forced and i just take my hat off to the way that him and Filoni and the directors that they hire, that they hire
1: just deliver on just Oh, beautiful stuff! Yeah, I mean Favreau, Filoni, and you know all the directors have such a fantastic way of making the um, making the universe feel like absolutely like lived in, like realistic in, in the ways you literally just described. You know, like the little nods here and there to things in the prequel sequels and you know the original trilogy. It just it helps make the world feel so much more realistic, um, while also you know giving you great nostalgia vibes um, for whatever you know whatever. Um, Trilogy is like a favorite. There's going to be something for everyone, as you say. Like everyone eats well when Favreau is writing. So yes, yeah, it's, it's it's great. It's great stuff.
0: Yeah, and it it's a good point you make about like the realism as well. Because like you know they could have just used the ship for no reason, but like the reason it's a good ship is because it's super fast. It's pre Empire, so it doesn't have like tracking. Like there's reasons why they you they chose that ship, and it wasn't just like oh those were cool ships. Obviously part of it was you can clearly John Favreau was like oh I rate those ships, but you know, there's like in world
1: reasons why that made sense, which is really cool. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it is, it is, as you say, it's nice to see, um, people getting excited to see stuff from like, the prequels in there in, you know, Mando. Cause as we're all well aware, you know, the prequels got a lot of hate so the sequels and stuff. So it's nice to see that we can, you know, John Favreau can put things in book of world affair, um, from the prequels and people actually get excited about it. You know, that's refreshing. That's nice to see. Um, and it just makes me thinking, like, well, when did the prequels come out? When I was, like, a kid. So, like, 20 years ago, Early 2000s. 2000s, yeah, 20 years yeah. ago, man. Phantom Menace was 23 like, years ago. Yeah, that's that's mad actually. But then i wonder wondering, like, 23 years' time, what will, what ship from, like, the sequels or someone get excited about, like, a TV show or something like that? You know, it's just it's one of those things where uh, I hope that, People can, uh, it's just nice to have appreciation for bits and pieces in, in the shows these days from like parts of Star Wars that were originally hated when they came out. You know, as you say, everyone, yeah. no one was a fan of like the Naboo ships, as you said. Um, yeah, it's crazy to see nice people getting excited. Yeah,
0: the world's yeah. changed.
1: And I think there was even like,
0: I think John Favreau even openly said at some point that he wasn't the biggest fan of the prequels. And like, maybe his opinions changed, or maybe he's just like, he's just the coolest guy and he's like, they're personally not for me, but I know that people love them. So I'm going to jam pack this episode full of like unreal prequel references. Who knows? But I think it's, yeah, it's just so nice to see. And as, as I agree with you, I hope in 20 years time that, you know, making references back to the sequels as well. So people who love those films, um, I mean, I want to see crate again. I'm on it. I love the last Jedi. So I want to see crate again at some point in the future in star Wars. And that would be something that would just get me so excited. So, um, yeah, it's really cool, but I mean, Oh, let's just talk about it. Mando flying an N1 starfighter through beggars Canyon on the, uh, the, the old pod racing route that Anakin Skywalker flew through. That was just exhilarating action it was awesome and when you compare that i'm sorry i don't i don't like to shit on things but i mean come on when you compare that to the vespa chase in episode three
1: it's like wow how did it not look like this this was so cool (laughs) yeah i mean i completely agree so now this is powered racing it's like fantastic it was great scene like that sort of I mean I don't want to say the pacing should have been the same for the Vespa chase because I mean the, the Naboo starfire is obviously a lot faster um, as we see in that in the episode but cause if it was at least half that it would have been a lot more exciting so yeah, you have to wonder even more of it would <laughs> be.
0: Um, yeah, yeah you, you have to wonder yeah oh but yeah it was so cool and like seeing him then like fly up into into you know out of the atmosphere and like stunt around the ship and like spinning it through the air and just like he was actually doing the thing that Anakin Skywalker did in the Phantom Menace like when he was flying his Naboo Starfighter for the first time it was just so like ridiculous and weird and cheesy and like everything that like gets me like just puts a big smile on my face when Star Wars does it and, and then he just gets like you know, after he's he's bought his new car in his midlife crisis, he gets pulled over by the cops. <laughs> the bobbies pull him over for speeding as well. But you, the the new Republic X-wing pilots, it's just oh
1: so good. Yeah, I didn't actually even think about the the shit like that when I watched it. Like it is, isn't it? Like your, your dad's going through a midlife crisis, he's got and bought out like a flashy sports car that like, he just drives ridiculously fast for no reason. Um, just to impress A1 gets pulled over (laughs) yeah and then gets pulled over I didn't even think about it like that oh gosh that's that's funny (laughs) yeah it's just some great scenes and it's just I mean mean, it's a bit sad for him that he's only got like I mean he's literally just like a midlife crisis car like he's gone from having like a big SUV family SUV sort of thing like the Razor Crest like a big ship to like a literally like a two seat (laughs) Flash car sports car like it's classic midlife crisis like but it's a it's a cool ship. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. That thing is fast. Like when he got when he got pulled over, or well, not pulled over, when he got stopped by the Republic uh, fighters, and then he just shoots off. That is that's <laughs> a quick ship. Like they couldn't even bother chasing them. It's so, like okay,
0: <laughs> he presses presses the Fast and Furious nitros button and just pings out of the <laughs> things out of the screen. <laughs>
1: yeah, he was he was off. Uh, that made me laugh. Uh, I, I really okay. We've seen that that fight ever a few times, haven't we? The uh, the left, left-hand one. We've seen him a couple of times. Yeah, the- Carson the-
0: Tether. Yeah. yeah a, he's a made a guy's. few
1: appearances. Yeah, he's sick. He's like that that seasoned cop um, who's just like, well, you know, I can't bother to do the paperwork. He's not really hurting anyone. We'll just, we'll just <laughs> let <him> go. <laughs> yeah. No, I rate his character
0: so much. I love that he's just like getting sprinkled for eggs that makes the world feel like really lived in because like Tatooine and like this little area is like his corner of space that he's got to be responsible for. Um, and, you know, but he says to the guy, he's like, do you really want to go back and like deal with all the reports? And they're like, nah, can't be bothered. <laughs> Let's just leave him alone. It's brilliant. It's just like so really realistic to like how these characters would actually play out in this situation. It's like,
1: am I really going to try and chase this guy down? Nah, can't be bothered. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. It makes, it just makes the world feel so much more like lived in and, you know, like, realistic because you can completely imagine that's exactly how like two actual like, police officers might um, deal with a situation. You know, It's not really, no one's really hurting anyone they can't bother to do paperwork so I will right, we'll go home <laughs> you know, so, at the end of the world so it, it definitely just makes yeah it seems so much more realistic and like um, you can relate to you can relate to these characters better when they yeah. you know, have realistic like decisions and conversations sort of thing
0: and like the one sort of last thing I want to like talk about with this like this whole because it was like it was a long sequence like him building the ship with Pelly was like I, I noticed it, like, in the editing, like, it, it was really, like, l- like played out. Like, they didn't, like, cut it into a really short montage. Like, it was really quite long and deliberate. And, you know, there were just, like, a lot of shots of just, like, Mando just, like, just inspecting the ship and, like, just taking a lot of, like, pride and, like, actual joy in, like, building Building the ship with Peli and the little BD droid helping out as well, and obviously like you know the pit droids were there, and then them trading with the Jawas, which is I love that. Just the fact that like, well, I can't remember what the um what the the what Mando called them, but it was it like crafty, you know, crafty wee fellows. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was impressed at how like you know resourceful Jawas are. Just and I just loved how like deliberate all of it was of like in the writing they were like we're not going to like rush through this we're going to take our time we're going to show how much this like means to mando and i think you know the, like even the fact that they took out the astro the astromech part and replaced it with a little pod that like obviously grogu's going to sit in at some point just yeah it was so cool and i think it's really interesting that what they're doing with mando's character post Luke taking Grogu and I think thematically there's like this is what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode I wanted to get into is like there are a lot of similarities with Boba Fett because like Boba Fett is and it's all about change and like Boba Fett is wanting to change and be this like this leader and this like you know after his time with the Tuscans has changed into someone who you know wants to lead with respect and you know wants to sort of like clean up the underworld. And then you've got Din who was really quick to change because of Grogu. And now he's like, he's, he's almost like resisting the change a little bit. And it's going to be interesting, like, as you pointed out earlier, like when him and Boba reunite and is he going to look at Boba and this leader that Boba's being and think like, oh, I should be more like Boba, which is going to be a really weird flip. So I think thematically there's a lot of similarities about like how these warriors who have gone through something and it's changed them like grow and continue to change. So I think, and I think the the shiny new sports car that he gets at the end of the episode is like quite representative of like this, this like change that, that Mando's going through. So I thought it was, yeah, it was really, really cool. And like, I mean, some of just whenever there were just like little calls to like Grogu, it just warmed my heart. Like the little bit on the, when like the Rodian kids like looks at him and then like, obviously, Mando gets all sad so he gets his little his little present for Grogu out and like it looks like Grogu because like the knot looks like Grogu's ears and I'm like
1: oh, I just want to see Grogu I miss him yeah so it's it's really interesting actually about like the similarities you point out between like, Bobber and um and and Mando it's like obviously it makes sense for Mando to be in this season you know we get to see him because Bobber needs muscle and stuff like that but it's 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 interesting that they've clearly added him in for like a good character driven purpose. You know, it's not just something that's um they added him in to, to be cool and be like, Oh wow, look, the Mandalorian's back. You know, there's there's a great storytelling component to why he's been added into this season. Um, specifically for the reason, you know, you just said, like him and Bobber, like their their character growth and like how they'll probably look at each other and grow and stuff like that. So I'm really interested to see that play out. Probably next episode, I can imagine they'll they'll meet and uh yeah. and we'll get to see that. Yeah, and, definitely yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing a bit more Grogu as well. That'd be nice. Um, I'd be surprised yeah. if we don't. So, I yeah,
0: I feel like I feel great. like they're they're like they're so deliberate with the, with the things they say and him ending the episode of being like I've got to go see a little friend. Like, I think that's very deliberate. Of like, next episode, we're gonna see Mando quickly pop off to see Grogu and probably see Luke Skywalker a little bit as well and i imagine like episodes here's my theory i think episode six like it's mostly going to be focused on bobber but i think we'll get a few scenes cut away to mando what he's up to i think he'll sit out the war bit next episode and then he'll come back for episode seven and that'll be sort of the big showdown or whatever that's going to happen at the end but my theory is that next week bobber it's a day for episode which means it's just going to be so rich in good old-fashioned Star Wars law. So I think it'll be, Boba will just be like rounding up the boys' bosk. I'm calling it bosk next episode. He's going to be rounding up all the boys getting ready for the fight. Mando will be off like just delivering his little present to Grogu and then he might just be like, oh Luke, can you just like give me like 10 quick minutes? Like how do I use this like lightsaber thing? It's like it's freaking me out a little bit. So that's my theory for next week see if that comes to play um but obviously the episode ends with uh with fennec dropping down and being like yo mando like can you come help us out like here's some money and he's like oh boba fett needs me it's on the house i owe him one he helped me get uh, he helped me rescue grogu from moff gideon i'm gonna help him back and i I really like that and uh, i'm looking forward to just seeing some like boba fett mando like camaraderie like i think the two of them are very like similar like they're similar men, and I think
1: I think they'll they'll hopefully find a lot to bond over, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, too. I'm looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode. I think if we get Luke, um, we'll get the same like body double, CGI deep fake thing. What do you think now? Uh, well, up just just cast Sebastian Stan. Well, I, I no, I think we're
0: gonna get the same deep fake thing because the X-wing pilot that wasn't Carson Teva is. Uh, max lloyd jones who was luke skywalker's body double um did you know that i, I did know that yeah yeah so I, th- I like they've got him around so i feel like they're used to, they're using him for luke as well that's my that's my thing but you know we were talking like about the ewoks thing where like um uh tomorrow morrison and like in that interview like talked about ewoks yeah Mate, look, I, i'm telling you luke skywalker as Grogu, the two of them, they're on Endor, mate. That's my theory. They're on Endor. And at the end of the season, Bob is going to be like, Right, I've won this war. Tatooine's sorted. I'm going to take a little holiday. Him and Fennec go to endor and they're just hanging out with <laughs> hanging out with Grogu on Endor and a load of little little Ewoks just chilling. And then like Luke and Bob are just like look at each other and they're like, ah oh. <laughs> <Really? laughs> call it even <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh or do you think uh Mando will go to find Grogu, and like one of the one of the Jedi will be like an Ewok, He'll be training a little Ewok Jedi. <laughs>
0: or he like he goes, he goes sees Grogu comes. He's like, All right, Grogu, I'll see you in a bit. I've got to go back to Tatooine help my boy out. He doesn't realise that a little Ewok snuck into his ship. <laughs> <And> he <laughs> accidentally brings an Ewok back to Tatooine with him. <laughs> to
1: be fair, that is the kind of like stupid crazy stuff like it would it'd be expected in Star Wars that's the like kind of thing hundred, an Ewok 100%. would do
0: like they definitely yeah. just like sneak into like the little pod in the top
1: <laughs> oh, oh god would no, be funny just watching him fly through space with just like a little Ewok behind him So <laughs> <It's like> screaming <laughs> but he's never been in space before he's got no <laughs> idea what's going on
0: yeah oh man looking forward to it whatever happens if it gets as stupid as we've just said I'm there for it whatever happens I'm looking forward to it should we, uh, we talk characters yeah, yeah, go on. Um well I'll I'll start with my standout character. It's sort of I mean, is is it the boring answer, is it the obvious answer? But oh mate Mando, just oh just felt so good to have Dinjarin back. He's such a great character. It feels weird that he's only existed in our in our lives for like two years now. Um, but yeah, it was so good to have him back. It was so much interesting stuff that we've already dived into about his character, just him being a badass, him going for his midlife crisis him getting his new car all of it was just so much fun and I think what I loved is just like seeing Mando just actually like enjoying himself like when he was flying the ship about like went from being pretty miserable missing his boy to like him just like enjoying himself so he's my standout character for this episode it was just so cool just to have Din back again on our screens and I mean, he literally stole the episode from Boba Fett, but, you know, he also stole it in the sense of, you know, he's just a great character, such a rich character. And, yeah, big shout-out to, obviously, Pedro Pascal. I imagine wasn't there on set. I think he was probably only there in the voice booth, but shout-out to his delivery as always. And then the, I think there's two stunt doubles they use at the moment. I know one of them's called Brendan Wayne. I can't remember what the other guy's called. Um, the, the the actual people who, who are inside the Mando suit on set Um they, they killed it as always with the the Mando walk
1: and the the Mando limping and the Mando fighting. Yeah, badass. Yeah, I mean I won't won't go into too much uh, discussion on, on Mando's. We've talked about him quite a lot, but yeah, I completely agree. Badass and um, yeah, it's a pleasure pleasure for see well to hear Pedro Pascal again. Yeah, you know, the the two standables that use for for Mandos It's nice to see them back. because, you know, as much as we all love Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian, like he is the Mandalorian when you think of him first, like technically these other two men are like the ones who create, you know, like the character traits we all know and love from Amanda. Like, you know, like his, his, his bad is basically comes from them. So I think season,
0: I think season one, a lot of the, a lot of the time, Pedro Pascal was actually in this suit, but over time, I think we've obviously he's gotten busier and like, I think over time he's been in the suit less and they've been in the suit more, which makes sense.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, as long as we still get that iconic voice, you don't really need um, Pedro there. I suppose they can they can do all the the hard work, I, I guess. But yeah, great yeah. great great character. And it's, it's lovely to see him back and in this uh, in this episode. Um, My standout character is I don't know, probably fairly obvious as well. I suppose um, as the, we've spoken about this character on the on the podcast uh, this episode, and it's uh, the Armorer. Um, I think uh, I mentioned earlier that she had. Uh, we'll both mentioned earlier. She had some fantastic um like dialogue and like the way she she delivers her her scenes um is fantastic. You know, the way she just describes and talks about like Mandalorian, like history, their culture is so captivating, you know, that like, when she's on screen, you just you can't help but listen to like every you hang off every word she says. Um so it's really interesting, especially to see how much Mando like looks up to her and like craves her approval. I think that's a really interesting relationship between the two. You know, this Mando, the character that we've all seen for the last like two seasons, just feel like You know, like badass, dominating sort of thing. But then, as soon as he's in the presence of the armor, he's like, he's like a little kid again. You know, like sitting in front, like a teacher at school, like being told off or something. Um, So it's really interesting to see how much, how much you know, authority she just holds as a person. You know, she's and then she had some great scenes, uh, great action scenes. You know, not action, but like a bit, bit more movement scenes of uh, fighting with Mando, teaching him how to. You know, teaching him about the dark saber while she's like using her like Beskar hammers and stuff, which is like badass. Like she's fighting, fighting the dark saber with you know like a, a hammer and tongs. You know, like there's not many people that could pull that off. Uh, so yeah, she's a great, great character, and it's just lovely to see her. So
0: yeah, definitely, I agree. I think as as we said, we spoke about her a lot, and I think um, it's an interesting character in the sense of like I actually fundamentally disagree with most of the things that she says because I think this whole like you know this is the way sort of very like dogmatic view of like being a Mandalorian is, is quite like, it's, it's pretty toxic to be honest, but she just has like such, such like a likable presence on screen. That even when she's saying stuff, I'm like, I kind of disagree with you, to be honest. You, you, it's hard not to just be like, Oh mate, I love the armorer because yeah, she's great performance for, I think Emily Swallow is the name of the actress. Um, and the look like the, the armorer's look with Actually, what the armor looks like is awesome. So, yeah, completely agree. One uh, another episode, another character who stole the show in the episode. She was
1: really cool. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised to see her back in. To be fair, like I wasn't sure. I um, wasn't yeah. sure we get we get to see her again. So I'm glad she's yeah. actually back, and yeah, she exactly. did a great job.
0: Yeah, so it was been all the way back in like the season one finale was the last time that we saw her. So it was a yeah, it was a good return.
1: Mm. That's while actually. Jesus. Yeah.
0: Um, right. Background characters. What are you saying, John?
1: Uh, my background character is, uh, is one of the, a few lines of dialogue right at the end, as uh, you mentioned earlier, and it is uh, the ex fighter X-Wing pilot for the Republic. Uh, the the guy that does, is indeed the, the body stand-in double for Luke Skywalker. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, Max Lloyd-Jones, you say? Yeah, that? Max Lloyd-Jones, yeah. 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 Um, I think it's just, it was nice just uh, he's getting a bit more of a, like an extra role in, in the in the show. I mean, obviously he got like technically got like the biggest role um, there is apart from Mando um, in the end of season two, playing the body double for uh, for Luke Skywalker. Um, I'm pretty sure if you look on the IMDb as well, it just says on the episode it just says his role was like body double for jedi doesn't even say that like luke skywalker <laughs> poor fellow doesn't even get that credit but it was just a uh, it's nice just to see him back in, in in the show and obviously as you said earlier probably means that they've they're keeping him around and hopefully it means we will get to see him uh return to his original form which is luke skywalker's body double um yeah i think he did a good job playing the like opposite role to the uh to the fellow um Excellent pilot. You know, he was like a the the other guys like a seasoned vet who's you know like t- doesn't take his job too seriously when needed. But then Max's character was more like a seemed like a new a new pilot who's like desperate to to you know do his job and, and play things by the book. So I think they work they work well off each other there and a all yeah um, dialogue and and and, and uh, relationship. So that was, was nice to see him. Nice yeah. to see him back.
0: No, I agree. It was because I think. <clears throat> obviously he gets lost a bit in that in that episode because you literally don't see him really because he's just been his face has been turned into young Mark Hamill but I think he um he obviously did a great job with that performance and it's nice that like obviously you see Mark Hamill on Twitter a couple times and actually like shouted him out um and being like I mean, this is the guy who sort of played the double like you know he's a great performer all that stuff so it's nice to see Mark Hamill give him credit and then we got he got some credit in this episode because he actually got to play a character in Star Wars and I tell you what, I would, I'd happily have like a little buddy cop, uh, like, like buddy cop, like comedy series of just him and Koss and Teva just like flying about the galaxy in X wings, just like uh, dealing with like you know, reprobates, and uh, sometimes they're like, oh, we got to sort this out, and sometimes, like, oh, it's a bit too much paperwork. Should we just go get some like
1: some donuts or something? I think that'd be a funny little spin-off show. Yeah, that would actually be quite fun. I'll, I'll enjoy that nice little. Uh... My little sort of body cop be like, um, uh, what's that show? Oh, I can't actually think of the the name of it. Uh never mind. But it'd be like that, but for Star Wars. Yeah. I, I, I actually, I've drawn an absolute blank of what it is. But I mean, I there's, I mean. there's a lot of body cop shows, so I have no idea what you're talking about, John. But
0: it's one. It could be one of many. <laughs> <laughs> one of many, but yeah, you, you know um, what I mean, guys. It's fun. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, right, my favourite background characters was something that got me so excited was uh, the little BD droid. Um. Pelly's little BD droid. I don't think we got an official name for a little official name for him slash her. I'm not sure. It was I think because I think BD one is because obviously droids. uh, This is something something in Star Wars. Like do droids have gender aside to them or anything? I'm I'm going down a topic that doesn't actually require any discussion right now. But anyway, the droids BD in this scene. I was so excited because I love BD one from. Fallen Order, absolute unreal droid, one of the best droids in Star Wars. Um, such a cute little droid. And seeing that design from a video game brought into live action Star Wars, like I wouldn't I didn't really think that would happen, but it did, and it was awesome. And um the droid was just like super cute. And there was a bit where like he was like jumping up and down on his little feet, like looking all excited, and him and Mando sort of like helping each other out and um, him being and like, Mando little being like, thanks little guy. And oh, it was just, yeah, it was and that moment at the beginning when like we see the BD droid and we're like, oh my God, there's a BD droid. And then he gets like immediately chomped by the the little nasty fella. Um, I can't remember what that creature's name is. Um, so yeah, I'm rambling. I loved the fact that there was a BD droid in live action Star Wars. It was awesome. And uh, I just want to thank Favreau for for making it happen because you're showing respect to one of the best Star
1: Wars video games ever. So I, I was very happy about that. Yeah, it's nice to um, nice to see a BD droid in, in in live action. As you say, it's it's nice to see that something's been pulled over from a video game, and it just as, as we've said a few times on this on this episode, actually, just it does make the world just feel so much more realistic and lived in. You know that we can have things from all sorts of different media that are being pulled across into wherever. Wherever it fits. So, yeah, it was, it was nice to see a little BD droid. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's um, hopefully it just means that we'll get to see, we'll get to continue to see all these different Star Wars things being pulled from different multimedias. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh-huh. John Favreau's okay. done, a, done a fantastic job of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, in Favreau, we trust.
0: Yeah, I mean, Star Wars is, is a, the canon has never felt so rich when, you know, season two of Mandalorian met a book character in Cobb Vampf. And then with Book of Boba Fett, we've had a comic character in Black Chrysanthem, and then a video game character in the BD Droid. So, um, you know, it's never, it's never felt so interconnected as it has right now, and that's that's something that I, I love to see.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the addition of yeah, comic book characters from um, TV show characters, video game characters, in all sorts of life, it does indeed make the canon seem so much more rich, and it just opens the door up for um for much more possibilities. You know, like. The Filoni did it in Rebels of a Thrawn and stuff like bringing things out of um, um, Legends. That's what I was trying to say, and stuff like that. So, just uh, give Star Wars fan hope that maybe we'll see all sorts of things from uh, different walks of Star Wars multimedia in the uh, in future projects.
0: Yeah, just lots of uh, High Republic references. That's the only thing I'm waiting for now. I just want them to just. Start saying, "Oh, remember that great Jedi Elzar man from back in the day?" And they will be like, oh, "Yes, yes, come on."
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that that be nice. Uh, uh, they've got to start working there in somewhere, sometime soon. Yeah. yeah, they've got to. They've got to. Now, there's been, you know, written and it's published and all sorts. That surely the, the Easter eggs must be dropping soon. I'm sure. Yeah,
0: I, I hope so. I hope so. Right, shall we? Yeah, Should we wrap up there?
1: Yes, I mean, I, I think we could probably talk about this episode for literally days so yeah we could we better stop while we're ahead but
0: i mean i think it's pretty safe to say we both loved this episode i mean I, I had a bit of a mixed reaction at first not that i disliked it in any way i was just like there was no boba fett that was strange um but ultimately i think it was just so much of pure star wars joy and I, I really really loved the episode and really excited with. What it means for the rest of the Book of Boba Fett, but also for the Mandalorian and this entire sort of era that they're crafting at the moment. And um, yeah, hats off to to Bryce Dallas Howard on delivering an absolute banger episode. Um, I think I think episode two is still my favourite. I just like over time, episode two is grown and grown and grown on me, and I, I still really, really love that episode for everything it did with the Tusken Raiders and Bobba. But this episode comes pretty close, it was a top, top episode of uh, Star Wars TV and the uh, the Book of the Mandalorian.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think technically this this episode is actually my favorite out of the entire season, but I can't really give it top spot because Bobba's not it, so I won't, I won't sully the uh, top of my list with of an episode that doesn't even feature the main, main characters. So yeah, same as you episode two, I think is out there for me, but this was a, this was a great, great week of uh Star Wars TV, it's great episode. And uh, I'm really excited to see where, see where next week goes.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. So we will be obviously back next week to talk about episode six, which all we know about it is it's going to be, I think it's also been written by Dave Filoni. I think it's written and directed by Dave Filoni. So I'm sure it'll be a madness i'm very excited for it and i'm excited to uh, to be back in a week's time talking about it on the podcast um and if you don't want to miss that episode make sure that you are following liking subscribing to our podcast depends how your how your provider you use but make sure you're up to date with our podcast so you don't miss an episode and if you can on your podcast provider leave ratings or reviews please do cuz it really helps um you can also follow us on all our social medias at Life Invaders Castle on Instagram, at Vaders Castle Pod on Twitter. We are Life Invaders Castle on YouTube, Twitch, TikTok. So we're all over the place if you want more from us, even though we're life's quite busy at the moment. So we're not we're not as active on Instagram and Twitter as we have been in the past, but we'll we'll get back to back back to the dizzying heights of great book reviews and stuff soon, hopefully. Um and at some point soon, we'll also have our Fallen Star book club discussion. We haven't forgot about it. We're getting there. John's reading away. I'm re-listening away. So at some point very soon, we'll be ready to uh, to, to
1: drop that episode for you. Yeah. I mean, I sit there in bed at night and I'm like, oh, I should read some more pages of Star Wars, but I forget. So it is coming, guys. I'm sorry. It's my <laughs> my slow reading is holding us up again but uh, yeah we will be, it'll be with, with us soon so <laughs> keep things
0: as uh, always with John as always with John it'll be like he, he takes like a really long time to read like the first 100 pages and then like binges the last 200 in like two days
1: <laughs> yeah there's actually usually out there yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah
0: but yeah I'm coming soon um, so yeah that's everything from me thank you for listening
1: yeah thank you very much for listening guys uh, we'll see you next week goodbye